when I started to see the business as its own separate entity mm-hmm. with its own separate needs, I started to realize that maybe this entity only needs 10 to 15% of the innovation I have to bring to the planet. Welcome to Mastering Your Exit Strategy. I'm your host, Christine Trumbull, a certified exit planning advisor, CPA, and certified tax strategist. I've spent the last 30 years working with owners to grow and scale their businesses, and then went on to help my own husband grow his. After his passing, I moved to the next chapter, ensuring seamless transitions for family-owned and closely held businesses. Each week, we're talking to experts about growth and transition, so you can not only simplify exiting your business, but also get as much wealth out of your business as possible. Thanks for joining me, and let's get started. Hey, everyone. Thank you for joining me again. This is Christine Trumbull with Mastering Your Exit Strategy, and today I am here with Craig Swanson. Craig is an entrepreneur, business coach, and co-founder of the online learning platform Creative Live. Craig thrives being the secret weapon, partnering with online businesses such as Akaisa Fit, Sue Bryce Education, and The Wedding School by helping them into the multi-million dollar mark and even acquisition. So thank you for joining me today, Craig. Thank you for having me. I'm really looking forward to this today. So we were, I real quick cut you off as we were talking before the interview, because you were, uh, you were really getting into some, some, some deep ground that I, I just, can you just say what you were saying before we Absolutely. hit record? So we were talking about what we we're going to talk about. I was just saying in my professional career, I think I've exited five or six companies at this point. The, and I, um, an IT company I started when I was 20, that it took me 21, 22 years to exit. And then since 2010, I have helped build, um, I think, 10 individual companies, and I have exited from big exits from at least three or four of them and smaller exits from several others. Okay. So and, um, you've got a little bit of experience with this whole yeah. exit concept. <laughs> I, I, I have, but also there's this emotional barrier for me that comes into play that I definitely see with all my partners when they go through it. And it always surprises me that it's still here for me. I've been through this so many times. I'm familiar with it. And yet each time I am, I am faced with changing my role within the company to exiting the company, I am going through my own kind of like self-evaluation of who I am, what my identity is without this, even though I've been through it so many times, you would think I would have figured this out. Right. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if, if, um, you know, from anyone who's been in a business, had one business for, you know, 30 or 40 years, which is, has been historically the, 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 the commonplace, um, they get incredibly attached to, I mean, it's their baby, you know, they've, they've spent so much blood, sweat and tears. It's, it's their baby, but it doesn't have to be just the one business. Apparent, obviously it can be, you know, because you do, you end up putting a lot into these businesses and, uh, you know, you, you, and now you've got to part with it. <laughs> yeah. You know, the analogy I use a lot is it, it, it is my baby. They have, they are my baby, but also babies grow up. And so I start to view them as a teenager. I start yeah. to view them. So I just had my 
one of my children go off to college. So mm-hmm. I have a teenager that's off in college. I can no longer control that person. That person is doing whatever they're, they're going to become. Yep. Um, and that feels very similar to when I turned my first business over to the employees and watched it continue on without me at the, uh, the driver's seat. Okay. That's a, that's a fantastic analogy. I always told my children, I'm raising you to eventually leave me. That's my job. Yes. It, it, it is. That's our job. And that's our job with businesses as well. I love that. So before you um, started investing into these um, uh, additional companies and mm-hmm. partnering with those additional companies, you founded Creative Live as a yep. side project to that IT company that you talked about that it took you a while to, to exit from. Can you take us back and tell us where that initial idea came from? Absolutely. So, so I started my IT company when I was, what, 18 or 19. I was really young, too young to have a reason <laughs> to do that, but I still did. Um, and I ran that company for 22 years. Um, I, around a decade into business, I wanted to call myself an entrepreneur. I kind of secretly would write that on a sheet of paper and like hide it away, but I didn't think I got to call myself an entrepreneur until I had created a business, sold it. Like entrepreneurs do more than just create one business and then work in them for life in, in my mind. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, um, I got the business to a place where it was working without me. So the, the employees were doing most of the work, most of the functions of the business went on whether I showed up or didn't. Um, and I started a hobby business inside of my business. I started a little training company inside my business that was supporting my clients initially. Um, I hired an outside trainer. We started building that and it became what I called my owner's boat. The, I, I know a lot of owners that get their business to a place that is financially successful um, and they buy themselves a boat. Yeah, so yeah. I don't like boats, but <laughs> I poured the hundreds of thousands of dollars that could go into a boat into this little training company inside of my business. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was great. I loved it. It was so much fun. It was not making any money, but it was giving me a lot of joy. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we hit the economic downturn of 2008, mm-hmm. 2009. I started to have to actually view that thing. as either something that needed to go away right. or had to start becoming a profitable company. Mm-hmm. And short version, we were able to, through some luck, uh, some risks, we were able to basically build something that actually was really going to grow. Mm-hmm. And in 2010, I sold my IT company to the employees. Um, I left the company to go take that little training company out. We, I, I brought in a, a, a co-founder with that and we started Creative Live. And then Creative Live um, went gangbusters. It, it, it broke a million in its first year. Wow. Um, we, ended up ta- we ended up taking funding. We, it, uh, it was just acquired, I think, last year by Fiverr. Oh, wow. Um, and uh, it, was, it was a heck of a ride. I ended up, um, my partner ended up becoming CEO of that company in 2015. And I exited that company around that time as well. Okay. So, so I, I just packed in a bunch. I just realized I started talking. So you redirect where you want to go in all of that. You're, you're perfectly fine. You're perfect. Yeah. Absolutely fine. It's, yeah. it's very interesting and, and, mm-hmm. and knowledgeable. I mean, that's, that's great. So mm-hmm. then, so how did you, how do you make that switch um, from consultant to, to, to founder of that, of something that large that went, that got that large that fast. And then was, you were able to transition out of relatively quickly. So there was a lot of mindset in that. Mm. Um, So my first company I started and it was my baby. It was the thing that I was putting all my energy into. It was built around me. I was an integral part. Right. Um, 
And then when I started hiring employees, I started, I initially was looking for people who are clones of me and I couldn't find clones of me. I couldn't find people who would care about the business as much as I did. Right. And, um, and this over a 20 year period, I slowly started to learn that not that good employees don't necessarily see the world the way an owner does. And and I started to see that my own attachment to the business might actually be getting in my own way. Uh, Okay. So hold on a second. I'm going to cut you out. Every owner out there right now (laughs) is relating to what you're saying and needs to listen to this. I apologize. Please continue. No, absolutely. I, I, um, in in a lot of ways, my business is strengths, my IT company strengths, which was a small little thing that could grow only maybe like one or two X bigger than me because Mm -hmm. I was attached to every single facet of it. Right. Um, it was like my life. It was a thing I would be sacrificed my family for until my wife got pregnant, until we got pregnant. Mm-hmm. And then we really had to have an honest conversation about the fact that like this baby that I had brought in, which was a business, really had to serve the family. It wasn't the family's job to serve the business. Right. And we had a really honest conversation. This was about halfway through that 20 years. This was about in 2000. Um, we had a conversation and we decided we were going to let the business either learn to be something that could support the family or we were going to let the business die because we needed to, we need to prioritize the family. Okay. Um, and I think that's what started me on my um, path towards understanding that a business's needs and my personal needs are not the same. Mm-hmm. And the more that my Venn diagram, the more, the more me and my business overlapped, the less freedom in life I had. Right. Um, and the business was never really built to scale because it was always built around me. We ended up bringing mm-hmm. employees. I ended up like figuring out how to like turn over power to employees. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I allowed things to get worse for a period of time until they got better because they had to learn. They, they didn't yeah. have my years of experience in the business. So, um, and then not only did it get worse for a period of time, mm-hmm. I realized looking back, it may have gotten better, but it felt worse for me because it, people were not doing exactly what I would have done. And I was not the one touching the keyboard and the mouse and doing everything. Right. They weren't necessarily using the commas exactly where I'd want to use the commas on correspondence. They weren't necessarily picking every, every stylistic word choice the way I would want to do it. Right. And that felt wrong. Yeah. And that felt like they were doing something wrong. And, and I just had to allow it to happen. And I realized that I was emotionally it was me. It was mm-hmm. me that was emotionally responding to someone else running the business as opposed right. to actually rationally looking what was working or not working. Right. So anyway, without all of that, mm-hmm. I couldn't have gotten myself into the place where I was when I started my next business, when I spun off the training company. So okay. in the training company, that was the very first business that I started with the intent from day one to create a business that we could sell. Okay. Um, and it's, That's a it, totally different it's, it's coming into this from a totally different place. It is. And actually, even then I, I wrote this down, we were talking about it because um, when you, inter- when I introduced me myself as someone who's exited five companies, mm-hmm. I wrote down moral failure on my sheet of paper. Cause I think that in my mindset 20 years ago, it felt like a moral outrage that an owner would like, like exit their business. Like for me in, in the place of my business, it felt like, like I was doing something wrong if I stepped away from my business. Yeah. Do you know what? So many business owners Mm -hmm. have that feeling. It's something Mm -hmm. that they have to, that they have to work through. And and a lot can't, they just can't. I know Mm -hmm. my husband couldn't. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's, it's just, yeah, uh, go ahead. <laughs> and I, and I, don't, I don't even know that that's bad. I, I, th- I think, but I do think that it's important for us to be honest, because I do mm-hmm. see a lot of small business owners that with, with all their mouth 
And with all of the books on their shelf, they say they want to exit their business. And right. with all their emotions, they make it clear to everybody that is involved in their business that nobody had better show any signs of doing something autonomously. <laughs> You're absolutely correct. <laughs> you are absolutely. There's a lot of, um, uh, dare I say, ego. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> attached to it. Um, and, and it is, I mean, you know, it, it's, it's, I, I've experienced it and I still experience it to this day, but yeah, it's a, it's a shift. Absolutely. And by the way, and I, I feel that ego every time I'm transitioning out of a business, I feel that ego, even though, even though I'm doing exactly what I set out to do. So I, I have started to see this. So this, this, this business I started right after my IT company, mm -hmm. the goal was, was to create a business that I could sell. And it wasn't, it wasn't because I was trying to create a business that I could leave. Mm -hmm. I was trying to create a business in which I was not a necessary cog. And the only way for me to have that type of distance was to constantly keep in my head the visualization that this business is not going to need me at some, at some point in time in the future, that this business was going to outlast me, that this business was not going to be tied to my preferences and lifespan as its determining factor. Right. And thank you for the segue, because there are so many owners out there who are asking themselves, well, if I sell this business, what am I going to do next? And they, they're, you know, they, they've, they've sat down long enough to realize that it's not, you know, uh, playing golf all day, every day, seven days a week, or sitting on their boat all day, every day, seven days a week, unless of course they're sailing around the world, but most don't do that. So in creating a business with, with the intention of selling that business in the future, it's, it's going, like we've said a couple of times already, it's, com it's coming at it from a different approach. It's, it's involving processes and systemization and people and a lot of intangible capital that they're, um, they, they probably didn't really focus on from the beginning, certainly probably had to look at it at the end in order to exit at with whatever kind of you know, value they could get. So what, when people are going into creating a business with the intent to sell and all of that systemization, um, where's it, where do they start? How do they start? How do they approach this? Because it's so, a new animal I mean, to them. So, and for me, I really kind of diverge into the philosophical and the tactical. And honestly, I, I like like I said earlier, I think that a lot of small business owners don't deal with the emotional, and so the tactical never works because our emotions okay. swamp our tactical uh, yes. designs. Um, there was a framing that I got early, early on, so I was first really grappling like this. Like probably a lot of people, I read The E-Myth by Michael Gerber, and one of the framing ideas with The E-Myth was view your business as the first in a franchise. Mm. So one of the ideas is to basically view my business through the lens of something that is going to be replicated multiple times. So I have to find solutions that do not require the same people sitting in the same seats, and most importantly, I'm one of those people that can't sit in all the seats in all the franchises. Right. <laughs> very true very true and so i think the the biggest thing that is like the biggest difference for me in this next business was a framing statement that i was building something that was intended to not require me okay. and that that was not wrong because when i was initially saying that it felt like i was skimping out it felt like i was trying to make other people do all the work like i was gonna be lazy there's a whole bunch of self-talk that came along with that 
and it had to get to me. I had to own it enough that I could own it and say it and not feel guilty, but actually feel proud. I'm building something that can exist without me. Right. As opposed to the guilty feeling I had early on when I was trying to have, uh, let other people do work in the business or being able to watch someone else do a job while I wasn't doing that job early right. on, I would felt like somehow I was doing something wrong today. I feel like I'm doing something right. I'm empowering others to be able to do yeah. exactly what they need to do, which is run the business. And for me, I now see the business as an entity separate from me mm-hmm. that needs to be given the opportunity for life. And if and, and and we use the analogy of a child. It is it is it is a child that it is my job to marshal into this world. But mm-hmm. I am not raising children to be stuck at home, basically living out their parents' life. Right. Nobody wants that forty year old yeah. in the basement. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. And and so from the like like with the new company, I had you know there was there was one employee it was me, and there's a whole bunch of jobs. I, I was the one doing, I was doing some training. I was doing the IT, I was doing the camera, I was doing all these different pieces. And there is a world and a mindset in which 10 years later, I'm still the guy running the audio board because no one else can run that audio board better to me. Right. And, and that's true because when I ha- handed that audio board over to somebody, mm-hmm. they did a worse job than me. Mm-hmm. They did a worse job to me partially because they were doing it slightly different than I was, mm-hmm. which felt wrong. And right. also because they, they were also learning. And so the first couple of times they had to learn and go through the process. And sure. what I had to learn is let people learn and not mm-hmm. snatch away their opportunity for learning Right. and see that mentoring process as my job in the company. Exactly. Mm-hmm. I love that. Mm-hmm. Exactly. <laughs> Again, people listen to this. <laughs> That's yeah. I mean, these are concepts that owners really have a hard time grasping and and remembering. I mean, you didn't go to that audio board the first time and do it exactly the same, do it exactly right the first time. And we forget that. Exactly. And and you know what? So here's a great example. So I don't know what type of businesses listen, but presumably there's some people and maybe you that have done larger scale email marketing. Mm -hmm. So I do not trust an email marketer that has not accidentally sent 120,000 emails with the wrong subject line <laughs> and broken links at least once in their career. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, and that face tells me you've been the one to push send on an email. Like oh, that. Yeah. So we do this. I, I, as a company owner, as a fledgling marketing person have made, I mean, I would like to think I've made less, but, but I've made some significant mistakes and experience comes from those mistakes. Yes. And and I have to keep, I have to at least grant the, uh, the grace to my learning employees that I'm mentoring mm-hmm. to be able to invest in the mistakes that are going to make them experts in their field to the same degree that I had, I had that opportunity. And, and right. I, honestly, I was going to say that I allowed myself the grace. If I'm anything like any other entrepreneurs, probably we actually don't grant ourselves any grace. In fact, we're probably our harshest critics and right. we are actually taking it easy on our employee from, from yeah. our standpoint. Yeah. Um, but but yeah, mistakes are the step process of learning to own something right. and become good at it. And, and so there's this, there is this, so for me as an owner going through this process, I had to learn that there was a bigger game I was playing for. And that bigger game was the future of the people I was training. Excellent. Not, not this week's survival as the business. Exactly. Exactly. Mm-hmm. So what's the one thing that you wish you had known about? the exit process or transition transitioning out of the business before you actually started the whole journey. 
So, okay. So for me, the, the company I was building creative live, I was building it to be, um, to be something could work without me. That was a framing statement from the beginning, mm -hmm. but I didn't actually know how, I didn't really know what that was because we took outside money. We ended up hiring an outside CEO and I had control of the company from an outside board slowly pulled away from me one mm -hmm. step at a time, mm -hmm. which was the most painful experience I had been through and was the, was, was the birthing process of who I am today because I don't think I would have learned how, how much I prefer my life when I'm building something that mm. other people let get to control. If the first one had not been out of my control in terms of being taken away. Okay. Um, so the painful process of, of basically having other people with more experience say, Craig, other people need to run this part of the business because the business needs to scale. Mm -hmm. And, um, and me learning that me feeling powerless and going through all the emotions got me to a place where I saw the benefits on the other side of that and gave me a lot more, a, lot, a, a much greater toolkit for other relationships I come into. Okay. Um, but yeah, it, the, the first time I transitioned out and, and when I, when I first left creative live, I think there was about six months of just mourning of mourning and not knowing who I was and not knowing what I was going to do and realizing um, I had started my first business when I was 18. I had never been, directionless and without a business I was driving. I, I, I had greater financial resources at that time than I'd ever had. Mm -hmm. And I had, I had nothing, nothing. I had nothing to do. I, mm -hmm. I, I didn't know what I was doing with my life. I and actually I had to, can, can completely a hundred percent empathize and relate to yeah. that. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I've heard that from other, from other business owners and for, and for me, it was probably the most productive six months of my life because that morning also introduced me to me. There's mm. a version of me that I had never had a chance to know. And I, I honestly think it's one of the things that, that, that for me kept me most fearful of transitioning out of a business mm -hmm. was me not knowing me, me, me only knowing myself in the context of this one thing that I'd given my entire life to. Yes. And, and I guess this fear that I don't know what I'm going to be without that, that, um, I, that all the strategies, all the things I said I was good at were all built around this one particular execution that uh -huh. I had latched onto early. Right. And, um, it's, it, it becomes your identity. Yeah. And without that, you feel very directionless mm -hmm. and, um, yeah, it's who am I? Yeah. It, it, we, it, uh, we, we allow it to define ourselves and that's not the mm -hmm. case. Yeah. Now I think everybody has a different journey. And, and I think, I think there has to be a lot of honesty in that journey mm -hmm. for me. And, and, and what is true for me is only true for people for whom this is true. Mm -hmm. I am definitely a creator of businesses. I actually, so I was actually not really living the life that I was designed to live by running a business for 22 years. Right. Um, but it was the only thing I knew to do. Right. Um, and so today I know I'm really good at finding product market fit, getting basically that, that, that scrabble of getting a business from, from, from a concept, from, from, from the low six figures up to breaking a million. Like that's the area I love to be hands on and deep in. That's where my creativity just thrives. Excellent. Okay. Once we've broken a million, 
once we start to have a certain level of staff, mm-hmm. really I'm designed best to mentor that staff mm-hmm. and build the le- build the leadership team and then let other people run the company. I I don't want to be long-term CEO of the companies I start. Okay. Um, okay. But but that would not work for most people. I mean, right. like you you and and for me I don't know I would have come to that had I not gone through one exit process, but but I do know plenty of people that actually their hard part is starting a company, is figuring out what they want to do. Right. And then once they're in it, that becomes the right and they're much more they're much better at maintaining, growing and over time. And okay. they would have a different set of needs. Okay. Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. So with all of the yeah. different experiences that you've had and mm-hmm. and and the 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 range of mm-hmm. experience that you've had, how do you manage that bright shiny object syndrome? So again, I have massive, bright, shiny object. I I am a creator. The way that I personally manage that Mm -hmm. is I tend to have a portfolio of three businesses at three different stages that I'm growing. Okay. And, and and for me that actually, you know what, I'm going to back up that that's actually more of the tactic I use. Mm -hmm. The strategy I use is I became really clear that just because I have a need in my life, does not mean that the business needs to be the receptacle of that need. So I personally have a need to change things, Mm -hmm. to innovate, to create new opportunities, to do all sorts of things. Mm -hmm. And I used to pour all of my capacity into one business because, because I had to have that in my life. And so I didn't know what else to do with it except to give it to a business. Right. Okay. And when I started to see the business as its own separate entity, Okay. with its own separate needs, I started to realize that maybe this entity only needs 10 to 15% of the innovation I have to bring to the planet. Okay. And when I started to see that, and I started to find other outlets like mentoring and, and doing other things, mm-hmm. my employees didn't have to come to the office every single day, fearful about what new innovation they were going to have to grapple today that the business didn't need. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I get that. I got that. <laughs> Excellent. Excellent. Yeah. Okay. So, um, I can't, I can't, I have to ask this one. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> you were once described, you once described acquisition meetings mm-hmm. as oh, a yeah. shared colonoscopy. Yeah. <laughs> you have All to right. tell me, I think I, I think I probably can grasp why, but go ahead. Let's, let's talk about that. <laughs> well, uh, so, uh, the, the most recent company. So I, I, um, I, after leaving Crave Live and like one of my companies was an online photography company where I came in as a partner with a really, really phenomenal photographer that, that had built a business around herself. Okay. And um, after being in business about six years, we as a group made a decision that we wanted to, to do want to explore acquisition, having someone acquire us. We went through a failed acquisition process where, so we went through, we went through two rounds of due diligence with two different companies. The first round in 2019 was, I think it was like 285 days of lawyers and accountants and CPAs and marketing people basically doing a deep dive into every part Mm. of our company. Wow. Um, And exploring everything, everything they found led to new questions. Um, and we basically spent 285 days of justifying every choice we had made in the past, in the past six years. Wow. It was, 
it was excruciating. And that's where that particular analogy comes from. Mm -hmm. We all (laughs) felt like we had gone through something very invasive and very personal. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, And that was a case where it really turned into 200 days of consulting with some really, really intelligent and bright people, basically investing a lot of money to mm-hmm. tell us why our company was not acquirable, to tell us what, what, what problems we had not solved in the business, wow. what things um, were too reliant on us as owners. Uh-huh. Um, and in that case, we, as, you know, we, had, we, had a, we had a small owner group, so it was me, Sue, and then I had two other partners. Mm-hmm. Um, we made a couple choices, which was effectively similar to what I was talking about before. We realized that the business was built around too much around our own needs and our own desires, and especially around Sue's because this was in her name. So she had started, she was the creative. So we all had a, a big conversation about basically identifying what the business's needs were separate from ours mm-hmm. through the, through the viewpoint of a potential acquirer. Right. One of the big things we decided is we can no longer be the ones pushing the buttons in this business. Right. Um, and so we cut back, that if we were doing more than 10 hours a week each within the business, we were doing something wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, and if there were things we want to do, and there were some hard fights about this, if there were things we want to do outside of the core of the business, mm-hmm. we had to go take that elsewhere and go yeah. create a hobby or another business or something else because the business needed to stabilize into what it was doing really well. Right. Um, and in fact, we had some really, 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 uh, hard conversation with the partners with, 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 with some of us seeing opportunities within the new, within the business to basically open up a new opportunity and, okay. and then push back saying, Hey, we said, we're not going to open up any other opportunities. As much as this might be an opportunity, you need to go do that somewhere else because right. this business is focused on X, Y, and Z, which is our core business. Mm-hmm. And if there's an opportunity there, amen, go after it. But mm-hmm. this business is not the place to go after it in. Excellent. Um, Excellent. And then, and then a year later, we went through a second um, acquisition process, which actually closed. So we, we, we were acquired in the middle of COVID uh, by one of the largest um, trade show companies in the United States. Um, And that second round, it was still invasive and painful and personal, but it was, (laughs) it, but, but we had done so much work and what we, what we, what we had as a business mm-hmm. now had most of the flaws taken out. And, and most of those flaws were us. Right. Um, I, so just what I just occurred to me, uh, there's, there's this thought I have for me and for most, most small businesses with a skilled operator owner, mm-hmm. often the business's skill set and strengths is in direct opposition to the owner's skill strengths and, and strengths. Yes. So if the owner is an extraordinary salesperson, Mm -hmm. the business never needs to build a sales system. Right. So the business is terrible at sales because the business has never had to learn it. There is just a person that just does it. And that person happens to be the owner. Exactly. I love Mm -hmm. that. That's like a light bulb moment of Mm -hmm. already known. That's a, it's a yell down moment, but it's, it's fantastic. The way you just uh, verbalize it. That's absolutely right. Absolutely. And, and it's, it's the definition of owner dependence. Exactly. And, and, yeah. and 
And that's, a, that's exactly all the things we are proud of during the first colonoscopy of, of, a, <laughs> of, a, of an acquisition process. Everything that we are proud of individually mm-hmm. as our strengths ended up showing up as major weaknesses for the business because right. the business had, had never had to do those things. And so right. it was entirely dependent on Sue and Craig and Aaron and George showing up and doing our magic. But we didn't want to go with the business. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so we had to, we had to um, promote. So Sue was a speaker and she was, she was the face of the business. So we had to go promote some people inside of the business to be the new face of a new podcast mm-hmm. and, and, and to take a stage that, that, that one of the owners was not on mm-hmm. because, because the stage had to work whether one of the owners was there or not. And, right. and, and for me, this is, this was the, this was the, um, my own learning moment. Um, I had, we had to have someone else come in and lead the marketing for the company and the advertising Facebook, which, which I always felt was very systematized, but even then, you know, I've been through this a bunch of times. The mm-hmm. system had me as like a crucial part, even though it was all like, <laughs> it was all documented, but I was like, like it was still me. And, uh, and the emotional part for me is after I left, after we, after we sold, we're, we're still working as consultants within the business. I found there is this part of me that kind of resented the fact of how good they're marketing when I was not there, (laughs) even though, even though the entire sales predicated on it, continuing to work. And my financial interest is in, in the business continuing to grow because we have an earn out emotionally. I wanted to see the business at least acknowledge and stutter a little bit because I wasn't the (laughs) one there. And the fact that it was excelling on emotional level hit me personally. Yes. And, and, and it's completely irrational because we, uh, everything we'd done, we'd worked to, to create that. I was right. proud of the people who were doing it. There were all mm-hmm. these things. And yet I can't deny the fact that my ego is still in play, even at this point. Right. Mm-hmm. We are all human. And, yeah. uh, you know, whether you're an entrepreneur, business owner, mm-hmm. just strictly from skill set or just mm-hmm. a regular employee, yeah, we all have, yeah, it, the emotions are going to be there. And, mm-hmm. Uh, when you're working with advisors on getting through this stuff, it's it's it has to be part of that conversation because if you can't get an owner to relinquish those things and recognize, and I mean, look, you went through a year of pain with all of you and your partners mm-hmm. grappling with all of that. So it's, yeah. it's you know, actually you said that, but but it, but I would actually say it's true. For I I started seeing a therapist. Um, at a, at a certain point during all this. And mm-hmm. in looking back, that was a very personal choice. And I was working on very personal work, mm-hmm. but that was part of the team that made all of this possible. If I didn't have, if I was not dealing with my emotional issues along the way, mm-hmm. um, they would have showed up as very logic seeming statements that would have scrapped the entire opportunity. Right. Mm-hmm. I've, I've had to, I've had a family business, mm-hmm. especially I, I work with a lot of family businesses. So uh, mm-hmm. talk about emotions. Um, yeah. So I, I actually had one where they actually, they, they, they accepted the idea of and worked with a family therapist because that's the mm-hmm. only way we were going to get through it, maintain the business and the family structure and have everybody at home for Thanksgiving. Oh, <laughs> I cannot even imagine family dynamics coming into play in these conversations. I don't like if oh, yeah. like these partnerships, if I, Oh yeah. If I, if one of them were a family member, I, cannot imagine the um, additional layer of emotion and expectation that would be in play yeah. and resentment and, oh, and obligation. Huge. And yeah, it, it's mm-hmm. the guilt and mm-hmm. it, it's, Oh yeah. It, it's, it's crazy. And um, 
challenging to say the least. <laughs> so one final question. This has been fantastic. This is absolutely juicy information. Thank you so much. But one final question. What are you currently reading? Oh, you know, I should, um, what am I current? So I am currently reading the series of books in the EO, EOS um, Entrepreneurial. Oh, tra- Gina Wickman. Uh, yes, Gina, yeah, Gina Wick- exactly. Yeah, Traction yeah, EO- and yeah. Traction and um, uh, what's it with a match? There's a uh, what's the uh, one after traction? Uh, oh, yeah, uh, um, uh, rocket fuel, rocket fuel, rocket fuel. How to be great? Um, yeah, <laughs> yep. over there. Exactly. <laughs> I I love. I'm really enjoying that. Like that, and I'm using. I'm building that in now into my business as I'm starting from scratch. Is actually like identifying the um, the visionary and uh-huh. the uh, the implementer roles within those businesses. Okay. Um, and I should come up with something. I'm also really like uh, to just like round it out, like more personally, it's not reading, but I'm really enjoying the latest Star Trek um, episodes that are coming out. Uh, 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 so just as, as a nerd, like going back, I am also just really enjoying uh, the, the Paramount uh, TV shows that are coming out lately. Excellent. Mm-hmm. Excellent. Okay. Well, Craig, thank you so much again. This has been really, really juicy. And I really appreciate the time. It's just excellent. It, it, great stories, amazing experience, and, uh, you know, a good balance of philosophical and tactical. <laughs> I appreciate it. Thank you very much. This one, this is a completely different conversation than I was expecting. And I love this so much better than that other conversation. I had. Oh, good. Yeah. <laughs> I'm very glad. I'm very happy about that. All right, guys, as always, thank you for joining me today. And I hope that you have found that value in this episode today. This is Christine Trumbull with Mastering Your Exit Strategy. See you next week. 